Welcome, everybody, to the Patty G Show. I am your host, Patty G, here with Jim Odom from Personas. We are about to get started here in Uncle Earl's in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I am super excited to learn more about his story over the years and where he's grown his business to and kind of where things are today. So I'm excited to get started. And as always, our show is brought to you by Alvarez Construction. If you're looking for a home or looking for a place to build your family, check out Alvarez. Without further ado, Jim, welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. I'm glad yeah. we're able to make this happen. Yeah. Booked a few months out in advance, but mm-hmm. we're able to get it on the calendar. Nothing's so. happened in those past <laughs> few months either. <laughs> yeah. Nothing. It's been mellow. Which is good, though. Yeah. It's like it's the relaxing to a new year. It's yeah. Not it's a nice, you know, we in. just, nothing has happened in 2021. Really? No. Well, not yet, at least. <laughs> I think a few things have happened. Just one or two, right? <laughs> yeah. Louisiana just got over a massive freeze. Texas is still working to get over the massive yeah. freeze. A couple of things happened. went on in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Yeah. Handful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but for those that are, are listening and may not be aware, what do you do? Who are you? Who is Jim Odom? Hmm. I was born and raised in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Grew, uh, uh, 1961, July 14th, born and raised. Four days away from me. Is that right? That's right. July 18th. All right. See my brother like That's it. cancer. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I grew up in Baton Rouge. I grew up in South Baton Rouge. Okay. Um, and um, my um, pretty large family in South Baton Rouge. And, you know, spent my life. Going out to LSU, listening to free concerts as a teenager. Um, my family's full of uh, civil engineers and, and entrepreneurs, so I was around that as a kid a lot. You know, I went to St. Aloysius. Okay. Uh, after that, I went to University High School for a little bit. At University High School in, uh, I think it was ninth grade or 10th grade, I was elected president of the school choir. Okay. Yeah. So you can sing a little bit. Yeah, I wasn't a very good singer. <laughs> I think the reason they, you know, they gave me the keys to the auditorium was because I said, let me put on some like rock concerts for the school. Ah. So I got elected. So okay. I became president of the choir. So we put on like rock operas and jam sessions and we put on um, how to play in a rock band, all kind of stuff. But anyway, I guess yeah, I'm kind of jumping ahead, but um you know, uh, I went to uh, U High. Then after that, I went to Baton Rouge High in 10th grade. I mean, sorry, 11th, 10th and 11th grade. Then 11th and 12th, I graduated from Baton Rouge High in 79. Okay. Right? Played jazz, played in the jazz band in Baton Rouge High. Oh, I was in a jazz band as well. Really? Yeah. Tenor cool. sax. I played jazz guitar. Nice. I, had a, I had a brother play guitar. Really? And then another one played drums. It was three of us. We could basically make the whole jazz band. You'd be the Jonas Brothers. Yeah, well. No. The, the, our, music, our music career quickly tanked after about two years right. of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. But I, uh, the fact, I got a lot out of high school. My senior year in high school was amazing. We, um, we were playing these jazz festivals like in Houston, in New Orleans, and Baton Rouge. And uh, there was a festival at Loyola, I think it's called a regional jazz festival and um, something high school fest. Um, I won a scholarship to Berkeley College of Music my okay. senior year. Berkeley is in Boston, Massachusetts. And the you know, funny thing about that, so, I mean, like a hundred bands, they're, they're like going over awards and they come out and they said, they called my name, you want a scholarship to go to Berkeley. And I ran into the payphone because guess what? There's no cell phone. <laughs> yeah, hey, mom, no cell phone. I'm going to California. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea where Berkeley was. Never even heard of it. But it you knew fun. you were going to California. Uh, but I thought I was going. But you know, lo and behold, I was, was going to go to Boston instead. So, right. So six days out of high school, I moved to Boston. Started studying jazz guitar. Wow, mm-hmm. that's that's a fast transition from high school to then being on your own fully in a foreign city. Like you didn't know where it was to begin with. It was amazing, and you don't have the technology. The, you we know, have. The, the, the funnest part was what's that? Like you meet all kind of people, right? Yeah, all over the world. It's a place like Berkeley, right? And mm-hmm. um, so 
So I met this guy, I don't think he's from Watertown, New Jersey, or I mean, New York, I don't know where it is, which is part of the fun. As I tell, tell these people where I was from, from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, they would go like, okay, where is that on the map? <laughs> and I'd have to go, think about the Mississippi River, follow it all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico. That's where I live. That's right. <laughs> they literally had no idea where Baton Rouge was. Wow. Zero. It was fun. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, the kind of players that were at Berkeley College in 1979, Pat Matheny was hanging around, Steve Vai was hanging around, um, Steve Morse and Dixie Drags. I mean, there were some amazing musicians hanging around Berkeley College of Music in 79, 80. It was a great place to be. Yeah. Great time to be alive and indeed. be in the thick of it. Yeah. Yes, indeed. So you're at you're at Berkeley mm-hmm. on a place that's not California, but more yeah. up here. Right? Really I'm, co- I'm getting my, my geography colder. right. Much colder. <laughs> yeah, much colder. Yes, indeed. I think I've I think I've been to no, I haven't even I don't even think I've ever been to Boston before. Boston? You yeah. gotta go to Boston. I, I know. It's it's on it's on my list, my it's list of places cool to place. go. But so you you're on that side of the the country. Mm-hmm. You go to college, mm-hmm. you get your degree in Actually I didn't get a degree. Okay. I found out after being in Berkeley for a couple of semesters, nobody gets a degree from Berkeley. You actually you go there, you jam with your bros, then you go on the road. Okay. You might come back. Most people don't. Like wow. John Mayer, he goes for a semester. You know, you just go for a semester or two, kind of get your chops up and you hit the road. You go play, you go make records, you go like you go make money. Yeah, you you put into action what they That's teach right. you before you, they even have the chance hey, to give you a diploma. What's a degree going to do for you? And that, yeah, I don't think it, they're going to say. And from Berkeley with a bachelor's in, you, you didn't hear that. <laughs> you never heard <laughs> any the of Grammys, that. did you? No. <laughs> Where's his degree from? Where's their degree from? You never heard it. No, you didn't. But that's what music school is more like band camp <laughs> <laughs> on steroids. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. So uh, I went there. Then I. I Right after that, I got another uh, scholarship to Loyola University in New Orleans. So I came back and went there and played in the jazz band there for a semester. Okay. What, so, what attracted you to, to jazz? I had a band director, um, a guy named Lee Forche, um, that was at Baton Rouge High, and he was really well known. You know, uh, Randy Jackson, the famous Randy Jackson. So yeah. he's from Baton Rouge. So right. Randy was taught by Lee Forche. Um, a lot of people, great players, were taught by this guy. He played in Woody Herman's band. You know, he was a, um, a trumpet player. And um, in fact, I got recruited from UHI. I was at UHI, and I went to like this band camp from between uh, 10th and 11th grade. And Lee Forche comes up after we jammed for him. And he comes and he goes, I want you in my band. And he calls my mother on the phone and he goes, your son's coming to Baton Rouge High next semester. <laughs> and she goes, who the hell are you? <laughs> <laughs> who, who are you and how do you know my son? <laughs> That's right. But anyway, so there was that band director. So I go there and he, he, he gave me all these tapes. He says, listen to all these players. Wow. And then I just, just dove in at first, started playing jazz. It was, it was his fault. Yeah. It's his fault. <laughs> yeah. He was a really cool guy though, man. Just a mus- hell of a musician. Yeah, I mean, and especially in like the New Orleans area, playing right. jazz, you kind of it fit. You fit in. Yeah, you do. You're not you're not the sore thumb that's kind of sticking out. Like, what are you playing over there? Like, this is no. It was fun. It was a lot of fun, you know. And then I saw at the went to Loyola um, on a scholarship, and it really wasn't for me. It was just that was, it was too traditional. The music was too, too like uh, orchestral. You know, I had to study classical and jazz, and um, it was just. I just went into it. You wanted to play. I wanted to you play. You wanted to jam. Yeah. <laughs> so then where did that take you after that? Okay, this is where the story gets kind of diverged. Um, I was also kind of nerdy okay. a little bit at the time, you know, so. Um, nerdy in what respect, though? Building Heath kits. Heath kits is electronic kits I used to build, uh, like little radios and stuff like that. And um, I went tested in LSU in electrical engineering, computer engineering back then, which was kind of very beginning of computers. So I went there a semester right after Loyola. So I gone to Berkeley, Loyola, then LSU. Um, was in the middle of the semester at LSU and doing pretty good. And I got a call from this band called Louisiana's LaRue, which is a band at the time they were on RCA Records. Uh, I guess I was about 
20, 21, so that's two, three years, yeah, about 21. I got a call from them in the middle semester. Hey man, our guitar player just quit. Would you like to join our band? So I left college at about 21 years old and wow. joined with this band called Louisiana's LaRue, signed with RCA Records and took off on a whole nother career. Yeah, and they had already had something kind of in the works that you were able to jump they on. Had, they had um, three albums on Capitol Records, one on RCA, and this was the second RCA recording, yeah. Okay, so, so you came into a, a band that already had chemistry. Yes. How, how was that? Well, you find out real quick what not to say. <laughs> <laughs> because it's already been said, it's already been discussed, and mm-hmm. you know they they have, they have opinions and everything. But they were a, a great bunch of guys, to be honest. Um, super, super bunch of guys to be around. In fact, the drummer in the band studied with Lee Forche. Okay. The trumpet player that was in the band studied with Lee Forche, the same band director. Wow. So it was kind of this whole thing going on, you know. Um, and so, but the, uh, it was, it, at the time, I mean, the band was kind of at its peak, honestly, cause they'd just come off top 10 single, but nobody said it was easy, which was on RCA. And, um, and so we were doing follow-up record on RCA records right after that. And, um, they were great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what, what is it, what is that process like kind of creating a record and going through the record deal process, getting something out there? What is that? And what does that entail? from somebody from the outside looking in we, you know we don't always see it as the end product what is it like mm-hmm. kind of going through the nitty-gritty of creating a record well when i mean it's different for every artist and mm-hmm. every company um but the process is similar so you have a business piece right which are investors investors are the record labels and the distributors and publishers those are the investors right so they're putting up money Mm-hmm. And in our case, two hundred, two hundred fifty thousand dollars to do an album, right? Okay, it's a big investment. Yeah, that's, that's pretty sizable. Quarter million dollars, right? Yeah. So, Even then and now, that's right. So, so you've got that going on. Okay, then on the band side, right? You got a bunch of guys that are just creative. You kind of a goofball with your bros, but at the same time, you got to pay attention to that business side, and you got to start writing. So we started writing music. It's all about product. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you're making a product that people are going to buy or not going to buy. Right. Right. So you got to, you got to like balance the, let's make a cool product that we like, but we got to make it so those guys like it too. Mm-hmm. You know, the business guys. Yeah. So that's the balance. So once you get that figured out, you write a lot of music, sometimes 20, 30 songs, you pick nine or 10, and then you go into a studio and they're bringing a producer, hire a producer and music today, they'll hire six or seven producers, but back then it was just one. Producer comes in, you book time in the studio, and you go for a month or two months sometimes just recording every day, every day, every day, eight, nine, 10, 12 hour days. Wow. And you don't take a break for like 30, 40 days, you know? And um, and just like over and over and over playing the songs again and again and again. That's interesting. I mean, like they'll spend three days just getting the snare drum sound. <laughs> Back Three days there. on a, like a single snare or yeah. a single piece of the song. Right, that's right. <laughs> that's I mean, crazy. That, they don't do that as much anymore because now oh, everything's yeah. sampled in sample libraries. You can grab sounds and try different things. Back then, I mean, it was kind of limited, so you had to. But 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 that was the process to make a really good album back then. I mean, it was like building um, a movie from nothing to finish. You know, and in our case, we tried to bring you on a little journey of music all the way through to the end. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Right. So it takes time. You have to write that script. You got to record it. You got to mix it. You got to master it. You got to go out to L.A. and shoot videos, you know, three or four of these silly looking (laughs) MTV videos. I was about to say the the MTV videos that look not staged at all. Never staged. Yeah, no. Like we weren't flying in on some kind of like cosmic disc or anything, (laughs) which we were. But anyway, it was kind (laughs) of. It's all part of it. It's all part of it. So that was the thing. So you go all the way through. Then Mm -hmm. they 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 launch it into you know what's called a radio network, and you have all these radio buyers that go out and buy time for say RCA has twelve artists out this month. All this money goes out to promoting them, and you know that's and hopefully it sells. Right. Hope. That's all you got. You wait and find it out. Might, it might go whoop, whoop, like that, but <laughs> so 
within your musical career of mm-hmm. recording albums, writing music mm-hmm. and playing with the guys and having the band mm-hmm. that at some point had to morph into what you're kind of into today on the more nerdy techie side of things. Right. Mm-hmm. So where did that transition kind of happen? Well, um, like I said earlier, my parallel universe, mm-hmm. you know, there was the music part. Um, but I built a recording studio on the top of a barn when I was 17 years old. Wait. Um, it, it was, it was, it was a hayloft and right. we, we cleaned it out and we built, um, floor. We, you know, we put in all the sound, uh, control stuff and, um, and we were recording up there and we used to record almost 15, 20 hours every day in my little barn studio. Uh, people would come in and we wouldn't charge them. They just had to buy the tape. We'd let them record. Yeah. Because I was really into the technology, you know, the machine. Yeah. How does it work? How do right. we record? What is the process of putting the notes onto the actual record? Right. We had all kind of artists come through the barn studio. We call it studio in the barn. But um, <laughs> creative, right? That's awesome. But anyway, so that was going on simultaneously. So here's LaRue still doing this. We're on a tour bus going across the country and I've got like a, you know, a Timex Sinclair computer, which is the first 8-bit microprocessor ever built. And I'm programming it in my bunk <laughs> while we're on the road. On, on, on the tour bus road. Yeah. Okay. You know, because it's was, was cool. It was interesting, right? It's kind of yeah. fun. So, um, so anyway, so I was kind of doing this, those things simultaneous. Uh, the band got dropped from RCA in about at about 1984-ish. Um, RC at that time just like happens. It just chopped everybody off at the top and our A&R guy got chopped too. So we went along with, so instead of doing another album on a different label, we decided to break up the band and it gave me an opportunity just to take off and do something totally different. Yeah. I mean, which, which is a, a, a tough choice to do for a band, you know? Yeah. Well, you've, you've got this whole bond that you've got being on the road together. You've got mm -hmm. all these time spent in, and the studio, like mm-hmm. you said, 30 days at a time you build, it's like a, it's like a family. That's right. And now it's saying, okay, we have to break up the family. That's right. You know, but that's a it's different. Call. I mean, like the kids wanted to leave the house <laughs> <laughs> at that time. I mean, we wanted uh, to take a break. Yeah. It was a, we had one of our band members, Tony Hazleton went to Nashville and wrote gosh, a bunch of top five countries hits. Wow. That's what he wanted to do. And he did it. He killed it, you know, for many years. Um, uh, Leon Medica, our, our producer and bass player, he went on to produce dozens and dozens of more albums. You know, um, our singer, Fergie, what's his name? Frederickson. He went on to mm-hmm. sing for Toto after us. Wow. Yeah, he did the Isolation album with Toto. Right. So they went on and continued in the field. Yeah. And you just said, I'm going to go and continue in the tech I'm side of the field. tech side of this thing. You know, so I went, I went deep into that. I mean, real deep into it. I moved to Los Angeles and was working in several studios and recording and playing and uh, doing more tech stuff. So, so how did you get personas kind of started? So that was, um, about 10 years later, roughly. So I'm still, still in about 85. So about 19, I mean, uh, yeah, about 1990, 91, um, I was working in a designing sonar systems for a company that was a contractor for the Navy, right? Sonar systems. Yeah, sonar systems okay. are those those big things that go boom. Yeah, 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 yeah. Boom, you know, underwater. Right, 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 right. So you shoot sound down to the bottom of the ocean, you let the echoes come back, and you record them, and you do all kinds of analysis, like how deep was it, what's going on, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was designing those systems, um, and but doing records on the weekends and at night, um, I would take a month off at a time or two months and do albums. The company that I was working for is real good about that. Wow. Um, so I just started coming up with, you know what? Um, we can't make a record the same way we used to make them yeah. so, because things were becoming downsized a lot. Things were becoming digital at the time. Instead of these giant tape machines, we were, we were making music on these smaller cassettes that were digital cassettes, but they were eight track cassettes. So yeah. you'd stack them for 24 tracks of audio. So I started designing products to solve some of the problems in that environment. Right. Right. Which, which at this time, you know, our, our, our general audience is anywhere from 25 to 40. Right. That thought of having the technology at the time is not relevant. Like I can't, I can't picture what that piece of equipment looks like in my head. 
But I can picture you what, see, what has now. Can you imagine a VHS video cassette? Yeah. We used to put eight tracks of audio on that. Wow. <laughs> okay. It was called an ADAT. An ADAT? Wow, okay. can't believe it. I know what that is. <laughs> 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 no, that's awesome. Um, yeah, so what you would do is you would stack three of these ADAT machines to okay. get 24 tracks of digital audio. And a lot of great records were made like that. Alanis Morissette's first album was made like that. I don't know if you know who that is. It's a great album. Um, a lot of records are made like that. So then that eventually became part of the computer system, right? And now you record on the computer. But uh, we were, um, so I was designing these products kind of on paper, you know, and on, on like the PC computers we had at the time. And I designed an automation system that was for um, mixing audio, mixing music, and also designed for live sound performance, right? For automation and things like that. Which is entirely different. Being in the studio and being live, mm -hmm. way, way different. That's right. But we were merging them. Okay. Even at the, in our first product. So I, I built that first product um, at night with a, another gentleman named Brian Smith. And um, over about a two-year period, we went to a trade show called the NAM Show in uh, California, it's in Anaheim, California in January of 1995. And right. we had our first product called the DCP-8, right? It's a digital controlled eight channel processor for automation and live, and live sound automation, right? And we got top 10 products of the show out of, you know, maybe 800 other wow. uh, vendors. Big vendors like Yamaha yeah, and yeah, you know, yeah. Fender and blah, 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 right? And y'all are this- We got top 10. Do you have a name at the time? No Presonus, name? that was okay. the name so of it. Presonus, okay. Mm -hmm. Came up with the name like a week before we went to the show. <laughs> Had to do like a label maker and stick it on the product. It was a little bit like that. <laughs> That's right. Don't look behind the little mm -hmm. you know, screen there because you might see yeah. what's really going on. But seriously, so we did that and uh, we came back from that show and we started a company. Wow. So yeah. like from that, y'all knew we got 10th. Right. Clearly our product is good well, and at least enough to compete with people. It, you know, it's like I always look at it like this. Somebody in the whole world is at least going to buy one. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Can you run a business on one That's purchase? Right. That's a different so question. So then, you know, like, so, you know, that, that was the thing. You know, we wanted to be able to appeal to a very large audience with the first product. I, I, you know, thinking about who's going to buy it, how we're going to manufacture it. So we came back and we started a small factory and uh, we built them ourselves for the first two or three years. And y'all were still in California or had y'all moved? We were, in, we were here in Baton Rouge. I'd okay, y'all back. back in Baton Rouge. I'd okay. moved back here, yeah. Yes. So you moved back to Baton Rouge and you started manufacturing the very first sets mm -hmm. and y'all were assembling and building all the parts together or mm -hmm. did y'all have a line for that? Yes, yes and yes. Okay. Yeah, we, we were just assembling, putting all the parts together. We had a small assembly line with um, maybe 15, 20 people mm -hmm. at that time. Um, but we had automation machines eventually. We had what's called wave soldering machines, uh, testing stations, shipping stations. You know, so we were building a factory from scratch, literally. Yeah, which is not an easy task, especially in you know the mid to late nineties. No, you didn't have near the tech. I mean, now if somebody wanted to go build a manufacturing plant, well, we can. If the part's not there, we can just three D print it, right? That's true. We can make what we can make. That's what the we wildest need. technology ever. But it's right, you know. Uh, the thing is, yeah, I mean, building a factory was tough. I mean, but, you know, I guess ignorance is bliss. <laughs> you don't know what you're going to run into. You don't know what you don't know. And, so and you're just going to go far, which we did. Yeah, and know, that's so. in, incredible, mm -hmm. the fact that y'all can mm -hmm. come back to Baton Rouge and say we're going to build a factory. Right. And we're going to start competing with big names. I mean, you're not like you're going into an untapped market. You're no. going to a market that's very full it's of robust big, yeah it's robust there's, yes. there's plenty of brands in there competing and y'all are yeah. saying no we're gonna come in and we're just gonna yeah we were we better. were in this trade show there were five halls this is huge there's a hundred thousand people at this show and we're uh, all the way down pre-covid 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 yeah <laughs> that's right <laughs> i know what a trip that is but anyway <laughs> so we were down in a basement basically with about you know four or five hundred booths Mm -hmm. little 10 by 10s and we would go up there and we would look at these like you know yamaha and then we would like there's fender and gibson and pv and you know these big giant brands you know we're like wow these guys are huge you know yeah <laughs> yeah and um 
you know, I guess you're right. I didn't never thought about competition. I only thought about really no. I only thought about making product that would fix the issue that we were fixing, and I just never thought about competition until they started copying us and stuff. But you know, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> that was and later. How, and then, how do you deal with that? You don't. You know, it's just going to happen. You just, you just you let it happen. It. Yeah. Okay. Because you've got a lot of younger, I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs early on in their phase, if they get wind that someone's trying to copy them, they might get freaked out and try to do what they can to stop them. But y'all's approach was more, let them. You just keep going. We're going to do it better. We're just going to do it different. And by the time they copy that one, we'll uh, turn left. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> that's right because they're you're yeah. you're doing all this time in r d that's right you're improving your product you're renovating you know mm-hmm. you're improving you're building upon your base right. but everybody else is just trying to catch up that's right and they're trying to build what By you the already time have they figure out what you've done you've already done something else yeah at least that's the plan yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it's been successful so far you know we were talking beforehand y- y'all are mm-hmm. in what how many countries now over 80 countries and that's that's incredible. Yeah. To be, for one thing, to be selling in the States and to reach all 50 states is huge. Right. But to then say we're now in over 50 countries with <clears throat> multiple physical presences mm-hmm. in other countries. Right. So we're at your, your small manufacturing plant. We're okay. starting to build your assembly line. We're starting to improve that process. How do you know it's the next step to, what is the next step from there? From getting that assembly down, selling the product, where where did you go next? Well, you have to think about scaling, is what you're asking. Yeah, um, and we ended up that? going to China um, uh, and different other parts of Asia. I think we met our first manufacturer in Taiwan, but we 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 knew we could manufacture as good as they could because they're really, really, really good at it. In fact, most of the the high end. Uh, recording mixers and lifetime mixers are all made at the same factory in Shenzhen, China. You know, you're talking about Avid and Yamaha. All the, all of them are made at the same factory. Really? So we went to go visit that factory and we cut a deal with them, right, to start making our products. Um, but, I mean, we started off with a very small factory um, that helped us. That was just a partner with us. And uh, we, we started building. So, you know, it helped us scale our production and increase our quality, tighten up as far as compliance and things like that for worldwide production, tighten up as far as logistics and shipping and incoming logistics, you know, reverse logistics, things that you have to deal with as a manufacturer. It helped us understand and grow and, and you know, and do all those things correctly because, right. you know, you get your ass kicked if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> in one way or another, right. whether it be from, from taxes right. so or we have, compliance. We have, nine, we have nine factories now in China that we use. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and so, and, and China, well, there's China, Malaysia, Thailand, <clears throat> and Vietnam um, right now. So, okay. So, nine, nine factories. Mm-hmm. And when did you know it was time to take the next step to open your second office? Second office. Um, and where was it? Let's see. God, I have to go backwards. I think the second office was in Ireland. Really? Yeah. So your 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 very second office was in a whole foreign country, right? I think you know as far as uh, incorporating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we, like like building the next branch. Of right. So we incorporated. Working. We incorporated uh, in Ireland, um, <clears throat> and the, uh, the the original idea was to manage what's called EMEA, which is Europe, Middle East, and Africa, out of one office in Ireland. Okay. Um, and to um, also manage currency in Europe, right? So um, that was that was a big step. Wow. And so how did you go into planning the logistics behind opening an, an office in we Ireland? drank a lot of beer with a lot of <laughs> Irish development authority folks. Took and, a lot of trips. <laughs> yeah, our, 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 my... The long-term partner and our chairman, Kevin Kuig, um, had a big part in that. He's uh, His family is originally from Ireland. And uh, Kevin's been on uh, with us since 1995, our first year in business. And, um, and uh, Kevin and I went to Ireland and just started shaking hands and meeting people. The Irish Development Authority took us, 
carried us around and showed us uh, buildings and uh, they gave us incentives and tax breaks and everything else to open up uh, a facility there. So it took us a few years to finally get it all set up and running, but we did. So Yeah. I mean, that's a big mm-hmm. undertaking from a company that, you know, at least I'm thinking of it from a, t- a tax perspective specifically mm-hmm. is like, wow, there's so much that goes in the thought of doing business in a foreign country and then having to merge all that here and there. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's not an easy step. No. Yeah. Yeah. Consolidating financials and all that kind of stuff. But that was our first uh, office opening. Our second one um, incorporation was in Hong Kong. So we have a Hong Kong limited and um, that was probably about 13 years ago now, maybe. And we use that office to manage a group of people that manage the factories, right? They manage um, quality control. They manage sourcing. Uh, they manage logistics. So you have a group of guys that goes out every day to factories and does quality checks mm-hmm. randomly all over the factories. Um, so, wow. So, I mean, you've got the, and I guess that kind of makes sense. You know, your, fir- your first office is let's worry about the sales and the second office is let's maintain that now that we've got all these other sales. Correct. So, and then moving from that to like <clears throat> new product development, mm-hmm. what, what does that process look like? I mean, it's, you would think in a technology like we have today, there's a lot that's already out there. Mm-hmm. So how do you stay kind of ahead of the curve with the products and with people that are already still in the same business? Um, a lot of those, if you're asking just like, where do the ideas come from? Or yeah, where, like where, where do the ideas know, come it's, from? It's, and it's interesting. So like, I'll back up a little bit. We, we opened up a third office, mm-hmm. uh, fourth office in Hamburg, Germany in 2008. Um, and that was based on product development, right? So somewhere in the early 2000s, we're going, you know, the whole world's going to be software eventually. Mm-hmm. So we need a software piece of our company. You know, we really need to start thinking about this. So, um, you know, we went out and started meeting different individuals all over the world. And uh, we ended up with some um, good relations with two people in Hamburg, Germany, that were originally with Steinberg. Um, I don't know if you know Steinberg, Cubase and all that. Yeah, yeah. It was different software. So it was some of the original programmers in that company uh, wanted to start their own business. So we helped fund it in Hamburg. We then moved it to Ireland. So we actually have two companies in Ireland. Even though they're still in Hamburg, the company's managed from Ireland for tax purposes. But, but that started what we call Persona Software Limited out of Hamburg. And now that office has about 23 people in it, programmers. Wow. Right? And they, they design Studio One. And they design a lot of the software that's in our, our big mixers and things like that. So back to your point of how do you follow innovation and, and how do you come up with ideas? Well, you get smart people around you. <laughs> you know, like these guys in Germany, you know, they're, they're intense, you know, and they're nonstop ideas and and then we have product managers and their job is to look at markets specifically. Each, each of the product managers have a specific market they study, you know, and they'll start following trends. And then we have an advanced technology engineering few guys or more that say, hey, look, here's a new microprocessor. It came out of the phone industry, but it's going to be great in music products. You can do this, this and this. Can you see an application you know, so you yeah. so so those things so where those technologies and those opportunities from the market meet, that's where innovation lives. I love it. Yeah. And so how has your day to day kind of changed over the years? Mine? Yeah, yours. <clears throat> Going from building the technology the place. <laughs> yeah. From like, you know, janitor. <laughs> <laughs> Rocking out on the guitar. Rocking out. So now I mean what what is your what does the day-to-day look like still running Personas and being well, in the position we have, you're in? we have um, uh, some, some fantastic executives in our business. Our CEO actually lives in Seattle, Washington. Okay. okay. Yeah, he's brilliant. And uh, <clears throat> and our CEO, our COO and I and our EVP of product, we all are in the building here um, with about 100 other people. And, um, and my day-to-day is product and technology, the same thing I've always done. You know, uh, today we looked at new technologies for mixers. 
you know, for one thing. We looked at new technologies for microphones, disgusted. So, you know, the same thing. And then coordinating that into business processes that can finish and get something on the market. <laughs> you know, people say, yeah. I just can't seem to finish that song. Mm -hmm. You just need to finish the song and put it out. Yeah. You know, not all of your songs are going to be a hit. And, and you, you've you got just to, need a you couple get, of yeah. them to hit. You put them out there and you just keep putting the products out. That's right. You know, and it's making sure that you have more hits than, than flops. That's right. Yeah. You know, like if you would have written that song, My Sharona, you'd be really rich right now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you, you, you've got all this, all this product development and you've yeah. got all this stuff happening. Yeah. I mean, how are you able to kind of push forward and within everything occurring with COVID. I mean, you're, y'all are working with like live audiences, right? Mm -hmm. Live mixing. That's part of our business, It's, right. it's a part of the business. Mm -hmm. What have y'all done within the past year to kind of revamp the business model and get it back out there now that live events aren't happening? Mm. You know, back to market-driven opportunities, the market definitely switched quickly, right? So live performance is off. But what we're doing here, yeah, um, the live streaming, and and I'm on Zoom and you're on Zoom, mm -hmm. and I'm at home because I can't go in my office. Shit, I'm also sitting in my studio, so I'm gonna make more music because I'm at home now. I can like take a break and nobody knows that I'm actually like working on some beat, <laughs> some you know some thing, and then I boop, turn that off. I'm back on Zoom with my hat on and you know I'm looking like I'm bit so that that market opportunity was huge last year for media production companies like ours and others. Oh yeah. You know, like, um, you know, you, we make studio monitors for your desk, right? Also your studio, but they're great for your environment. We make microphones, we make USB microphones, we make interfaces, we make software for that too. Um, so I think, uh, what we did is, you know, nobody knew what was going to happen in March, right? February, yeah. This is weird. What? March market crashes. Um, are we going to, is anybody going to have any business this year? Is anybody going to have a job this year? So, but you know what happened was people went home and people are creative and they just started building their environments. And so we pivoted because they forced us to into more of those kind of products, which overtook the live sound business in some ways, you know, completely for all of last year and it's still continuing. Well, I can tell you right now, um, forecasting live sound products like mixers and speakers, we, we make um, loudspeakers for concerts. Yeah. People are starting to buy them all of a sudden. So really people are looking forward to live music again. It's coming back. So that's, that's good news. Yeah. They're starting. I know that we've got some local places here in and around Baton Rouge mm -hmm. that are starting to push, Hey, in March and April and May, yeah, we've got some live concerts happening because they figured out a way to get a controlled number of people there, but also the acceptance of streaming, the acceptance of concerts and what have mm -hmm. you are now okay to be viewed right. on a live and streaming platform, yeah. whether it be Facebook or Twitch or whatever the platform is. People right. are okay with it now. I thought it was a blast at the beginning. I mean, I had fun. I mean, my my bro Chris LeBlanc. I'd go every Friday, take. We're putting on LeBlanc, putting them on my big screen. And we're gonna like, <laughs> we're gonna like put a, I'm gonna get a beer and we're gonna watch him. And we're gonna like, I'm gonna Skype him. I mean, I Skype, yeah, yeah. but um, whatever, you instant message him and stuff. And we were doing that. We had a blast. Had quite a few of my bros were doing that and we had fun watching them. Um, of course, I think probably I'm like everybody else. Eventually, you just kind of stop doing it, but it kept those guys alive. It really kept them. Yeah. With a little bit of a revenue stream in the middle of all this stuff, you know, so yeah, that, that was big. Um, but yeah, it's time to time to be able to get with around other people and watch mm -hmm. music because it's so much better. Yeah, it's you know? it. We're I think we're we're at a phase now. Mm -hmm. We're at a, a state in the actual you know the COVID life that we're able to work around what we initially couldn't. Right. We figured out how to live through this how to continue daily lives, how to right. go back to the office, yeah. how to go back to public settings. And now it's like, all right, what's the next step? Mm -hmm. Doing something in person. That's true. Like making something, like getting rid of the Zoom calls. Let's go, you know, 
physical. And a lot of businesses are going to stick with, with virtual because it works well. You know, mm-hmm. y'all CEOs and y'all, y'all C-suites are everywhere. And so it works well that everybody mm-hmm. knows how to use the technology. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we're human. We like that face-to-face interaction. I mean, um, I go in my office. We still do all of our meetings by Zoom, even though we're all in the office together, mm-hmm. just for out of respect. Right. You know, we don't go into a, a, a conference room where we're sitting next to each other. So we stay in our in our little cubicles or our desk or our, our offices um, out of respect. And it's fine. It's convenient, honestly. So what? It works well. You know, and um, there, are, there are situations, you know, like let's say we're trying to be creative, you know, like in a, an engineering meeting. We're trying to be creative, trying to invent something. It works better when we're all in a room throwing footballs at each other and, yeah. you know, just coming up with yeah, a whiteboard and you're writing stuff whiteboard on a whiteboard. And you're, just like, <laughs> you're just inventing something new. Yeah. You know, that it works better for that. Right. But it's at, at, yeah. at, the, at the same time, we're able to keep yeah, business moving forward. That's right. So we, I mean, like uh, our meetings now, it's really nothing that one guy's in Ireland, another guy's in Germany. I'm in Covington a lot because that's where I live. Um, and then, you know, because guys in Baton Rouge here, it, it doesn't matter now. We're so used to it. We're comfortable yeah. with it. So. And that's, I mean, I had a meeting today that would have been in person, but because, you know, and they're in downtown Baton Rouge and I'm in mid city. Right. You know, but it's because it's, oh, hey, it's so much easier and quicker to hop on a, a Teams call or a Zoom call or a Skype call or whatever you, yeah. you're, you're using that we can still get the job done. We can still have the conversation. We can yeah. still be productive. But I don't have to worry about paying for parking downtown. I don't have to worry about parking my truck downtown. How much time would you lose driving all the way there in Baton Rouge traffic? It's a 30, 30, 40. <laughs> to go from mid-city to downtown Baton Rouge is a 30 to 45 minute drive. Easy. Now, you ask me what time that would have taken last Monday and mm-hmm. last Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Double or triple that. Like to get from Government Street to like, you know, college or right. Lee right. was an easily an hour, hour and a half drive. <laughs> To go through all that because we don't know how to drive in snow no, or no, ice no, no. or anything cold. Yeah. So you can mitigate those like yeah. problems. Exactly. And, yeah, it's, and it's fine. So that that's not going away. No, it's it's the new normal and it's how do we mm-hmm. move forward? How do we bring back lives safely, right. efficiently and right. effectively? You know, and it's uh, how do we get places like, you know, Uncle Earl's back operating? And Absolutely. how do we get places mm-hmm. safely functioning? Yeah. So... It's the next you know, step. Go to herd immunity, I think, is what they try to call it. But I think that's going to absolutely happen. Um, <clears throat> don't know exactly when, but it's already happening. Yeah. You know, we're, we're seeing the benefits of being smart right now, and that's, it's going to happen. Oh, yeah. Just a matter yeah. of time. Mm-hmm. So well, within your career, you've seen a lot of stuff from, you know, the 70s, 80s, late 90s, early mm-hmm. 2000s to mm-hmm. now COVID. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've kind of gathered some lessons along the way. Mm. And as we start to wind down the show, I like to ask a set list of questions. And one of those is what are some lessons you gathered along your journey thus far? Mm. I think that, you know, one of the <clears throat> most important things I did that may apply is just um, perseverance because it could look like really bad and then it Six months later, be totally different. Yeah, and um, and so, you know, COVID kind of proved that a little bit. Um, uh, you know, but it's like that all through life. Don't let the things that look like they're going to take you out bother you too much, because it's probably just going to go away. You mm-hmm. know, unless it's something you know detrimental like health. But 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 things like you say you're trying to build something and it just doesn't look like it's going to work. Just don't stop, you know, just get it to a point where you're going to close it down because it makes sense. But don't stop. I mean, because I think that there's always opportunity for what you're doing. Yeah. You know, so I love that. It's mm-hmm. that that mentality. Of if you build it, they will come. Yeah. It, it works in music. It works in life. It works in relationships. You know, Absolutely. I mean, some relationships may not work out. So what? But if you're really into something. You know, you're going to go through it. That's, that's, I think, what I've learned is just put your head down and go. Yeah. And be patient when you go. Right. You know, the best overnight success is 10 years in the making. We're an overnight success. 
<laughs> well, it took you since 95, right? 25 years later. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, especially, I find yeah. especially with the, the younger generation, those that were born around the time y'all were mm-hmm. getting the company started are now seeing all this stuff, but they're, the only reason they're seeing it and it being so successful is because they're just now hearing about it. Not and so when they hear about it, they think it was born yesterday. Absolutely. And they're like, new. well, I want to go and start a brand, a business or an idea. Mm-hmm. And I expect it, you know, by March to blow up. Right. And to be super successful. Mm-hmm. But like you said, y'all are an overnight success 25 years. That's right. And so it's that patience, keeping the head down, moving, grinding and making if things happen. If you believe happen. in it. And, yeah. and you have some traction. You need a little bit. Just a little bit. Like people care about what you're doing. You yeah. need a little bit of traction. Um, and then always, I, th- I think another thing is just think bigger than you're thinking. Just think think bigger, you know, yeah. because if, you, if you're thinking like, man, if I can really conquer this parking lot here on Acadian and Perkins Road, think bigger than that because that's probably going to run out for you, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so just feel like, don't don't feel afraid to think bigger. Yeah. You know, like, hey, I don't know. Maybe we'll have factories in six countries one day. Think bigger. Yeah. Why I'm not? Sure, I'm sure that was not the first thought. When, no. you're, when you're putting the first piece of equipment together, no. you know, here in Baton Rouge, it was not, oh, one day we're going to be doing this, not in the States. <laughs> That's right. You know, one day we're not even going to be touching this. It's going to be all across seas. It's going to be all in different countries. Yeah. And by the way, we're going to be selling to 80 countries. Right. That was not the first thought. The first no. thought was, Get this product right, mm-hmm. get it to market, and we'll figure out the rest as then we the go. The next step is think a little bit bigger. Just yeah. keep just keep that going. I mean, if you think about like these guys like Jeff Bezos, I mean, he wanted to just sell a few books a day. That was his goal. Yeah. <laughs> now he's delivering everybody everything. <laughs> so yeah. you, you've got 80 countries you're selling in. Mm-hmm. You're in six countries office-wise or more than that now, I'm sure. Well, yeah, it depends on how you look at an office. But yeah, we had people working for us in at least seven or eight different countries. At, at, at least seven or eight different countries. Mm-hmm. But you're here. Mm-hmm. You're here in the Covington, Baton Rouge, Louisiana mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. And you've been around the country and now, I mean, around the world with the business. Mm-hmm. What has kind of kept you here within Louisiana, within this, you know, this city or even the state? Um family um i don't like cold weather <laughs> <laughs> last week was miserable for you i'm sure yeah i just like the music mm-hmm. i'm real attached to the music i'm attached to the people you know um somebody you know so i think that had a lot to do with it um you should have heard so i mean like when we were starting our business it's like where are you located again I got to go all the way to Baton Rouge. <laughs> well, how do I get there? <laughs> I tend. You know, yeah, right. Well, I'm talking about, you know, people like like a vendor that was coming down to set up a robot machine to make up what we call a pick and place, which was like making printed circuit boards. Mm-hmm. Where, where are you guys again? <laughs> so, you know, it was that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, just, we just like, you know, family and people and uh, music you know, so, and food. The food. Yeah. Yeah, the food will keep anybody here. No kidding. Mostly because they can't, like, leave after they ate a whole meal. They got to sit That's down right. and stuck here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And we've recruited quite a few people from around the world to live here. Really? Oh, yeah. So, it's been attractive enough for people to come from outside the country mm-hmm. to Baton Rouge. We have had an, an, we've had several international people come and stay, but not permanently. But we've had people from... From Washington State, from California, from New York, um, from Chicago, all moved to Baton Rouge. Which is exciting. Yeah. It, it, it's exciting as being mm-hmm. a born raised Baton Rougian. Right. You know, it's exciting to see people come from outside of the city, outside of the state, mm-hmm. move here, fall in love with the place and say, I, I want to stay. Right. And then they end up doing. Yeah. And that's incredible to see that that's actually happening in today's society and everybody's like, I want to, you know, Baton Rouge is, is a spot to stay. You know, it's not a spot to do what you can and then leave and go do something greater. The opportunity's here. That's right. And especially if COVID's proved anything, <clears throat> we can work around the world from oh, anywhere. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So what is something that you did as a kid you wished you could still do today had no one stopped you? 
um, play piano better. <laughs> I don't know what. Okay. <laughs> like, you know, Elaborate on that. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, that I could do as a kid that somebody stopped me from doing. And that somebody, something, you, mm-hmm. you, were, you, you did it as a kid. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden life got in the way and stopped you from doing it. Oh, wow. Um, got an interesting childhood. So it's hard for me to say I, I, I got stopped at any point anywhere. Right. <laughs> no. Um, but um, that's just, you know, you've stumped me. I've stumped you? Yeah. I can't think of something that okay. I got stopped doing. Then then uh, what's one of your favorite childhood memories? Oh, okay. Um I guess being with my, my my dad and my grandfather and their buddies, and one of their buddies had a guitar, and I was probably maybe four or five, and they're standing up and they're singing song after song after song after song from, I don't know, people. I didn't know the music, but I would sit there and watch them and listen to them, and, you know, eventually they they, they put the guitar on me and let me play it. And just the con- j- j- just the, the feeling of being with all those people that were so happy to be together and play music together. It's probably one of my favorite memories. Yeah. Being you know, with the, my the- grandmother was, she was, her whole family is from France. She was an amazing cook. And so she would cook and they would sing. I love that. Yeah. And that's, mm-hmm. I, I, I've got, Many of memories like that here. Yeah. And going to my grandparents' house or going down to South Louisiana. Every Sunday. Yeah. Go it's to one of grandma's house and she would cook roasts and rice and gravy and peas, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and that was lunch. That was dinner. Yeah, and that, that's and, it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if you didn't like it, well, you went hungry. That's right. So for one of the final questions of the mm-hmm. show, what is something I can do to help you? Something you can do to help me. Um doing your show this is great i've enjoyed this and i hope that you can touch more people yeah that's i mean that's that's the goal right to touch as many people as we can and that helps me okay right because i like to see people grow good and and succeed so well i'm gonna i'm gonna keep the show going good so long as you know flashbang stays around and actually keeps producing the show so awesome I, i i'm appreciative of them and jim thank you so much for your time for coming on the show i appreciate it i'm glad i got to learn a little bit more about the history of personas and the history of you and mm. everything you've done thus far. And I'm very thankful for everybody listening or watching or tuning in whatever platform you're absorbing this content. Thank you all so very much for tuning in to the latest rendition of the Patty G show, which is sponsored by Alvarez construction that builds more than a home. It builds a dream where you can raise your family. So guys, I am Patty G of the Patty G show here with Jim Odom from personas. Y'all have a good one. Thanks. Thanks.